0: Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Tracy Hollemeyer. She is amazing, and she is vulnerable, and she is raw, and she is open on this episode about all kinds of things. So consider this a trigger warning. Tracy is a speaker, a writer, she is a coach, She is a domestic violence awareness advocate. She is a mental health advocate. And in this conversation, we touch on all of the things. We talk about emotional abuse. We talk about domestic violence. We talk about eating disorders. We talk about sexual trauma. We talk about rape. We talk about all of the things that this woman has powerfully and bravely overcome to turn into her purpose and passion today as somebody who works with humans, and tries to inspire them to live their best life. Tracy is very grounded, very humble in this conversation, and she's pretty much an open book. I found her to be super inspiring, super enlightening. The way that she approaches the world, the way she sees her pain and her past is just so admirable and so brave. She is fierce, she is fun, and I really think that you're going to connect with this conversation. It's powerful. And without further ado, Tracy Holomare. Word to make sure this works. But this, this often happens where I'm like, hang on. No, this is probably podcasty stuff. So before yeah. you start on that story or whatever. And then a question I ask every guest is, what do you want to talk about? Like, where do you want this to go?
1: Yeah, so... And and I've thought so much about it. And it was funny because um, same friend who's interested, you know, that has, has wanted to come on the retreat um, that will happen, we're bringing that into the world, is, you know, I was talking to her, I said, you know, what would you want to hear of anything? And she's like much to what you do and how you do it like I don't think I could break it down for you it was she's like any of the topics that you talk about on a regular basis will work for me she said healing old wounds a step-by-step guide to life without your baggage how to connect more intimately with oneself how to choose yourself your mother wound I don't know you're so much (laughs) okay (laughs) and I was like I think that's not helping me narrow it down much You know, the whole story, as far as like my story is concerned, started with, you know, obviously a a broken dynamic at home, and um, leading into a relationship that was young and vulnerable, and not knowing or learning, and um, a wonderful child that came out of that. And then into an abusive relationship that lasted for seven years. And then the healing and recovery from all of the things that happened in between from sexual assault to rape to single momhood to, you know, his story of depression is what led me ultimately to what I'm doing now. But it's also his story. So I can touch on that, but it's not, I'm not ready to peel layers on that. Topic so much. That makes mm. sense. So, but the rest of it I'm open to.
0: I'll okay. So just becoming uh, a
1: coach, working with you, you know, we can.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just like broken relationships, childhood, abuse, sexual trauma, parenthood,
1: healing, now, coaching. Right now. It's just being, those things. Yeah, just a few. No yeah. big
0: deal. Okay.
1: And, and being a human who's like walking, living, breathing proof that um we can coexist with that trauma rather than it defining us. Mm. Right. So I like to say for myself, you know, people are like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm just your friendly neighborhood soul worker, you know, like, <laughs> just like spidey senses, but for your soul, you know. But I really think that my job as a coach is is mostly what I needed and sought out in working for you, and that's accompanying people towards what feels scary and hard for them, um, in a way that is a little bit more of a blueprint that fits them rather than this will work and this won't work. You know, it's feeling out each of those situations, creating the toolbox exploring meditation and journaling, being really open and honest, you know, because we get so distracted by old belief systems. And I don't know that that ever really goes away. It's just allowing them to exist in the space that also what's in your healing toolbox can, and then balancing between those two when it comes up in your awareness of presence.
0: That was was very succinct. Thanks. Yeah, that was great. So, hang on. Okay. (laughs) Tracy Holmeyer. Also
1: known as Holy Moly Meyer.
0: (laughs) Tracy Holmeyer, welcome to the podcast.
1: (laughs) So exciting. Uh,
0: Yeah. Okay, so you've already given a a very solid brief overview of kind of the struggles that you've overcome. So, for those who might not know you... um, can you provide a little bit more? So you're a coach, you help people get from place to place using meditation and presence and journaling and integrating their empowering belief systems. Like, like yeah, what's your deal? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of that, I I feel like I'm... I'm um, what's that quote, like, meditated AF, but like a click down to the reality that we move through the space and we subscribe to all of these things and we, we listen and we learn and and we think we're knowing better and doing better. Um, And then at the end of the day, something still breaks. Right. And so I guess my whole goal is really letting everything have a seat at your table and, and working with all of the things that make us human. Our human condition was made up of all of these feelings and alarm systems and belief systems. And you we make it more difficult by not trusting what we're given, like take anxiety, for example, right? It is a alarm bell going off. And if an alarm were going off in your home, you would check to see what's on fire, right? And so uh, when it goes off in our body and we don't do that, when we don't pay it attention, when we try to stuff it down or or um, have some obligational reason or belief system that says oh you're just worrying or this is whatever instead of actually listening and learning from what our body is trying to teach us so what i what i feel like my work is is to reconnect people with what is their human condition why those things come up for them what they can do about it and how they can move through life in a way that allows all of the things to be acceptable and okay And use those things to help propel them forward, right? Healing is is hard for sure, and we get through a thing. I went through years of therapy for my abusive relationship and having an eating disorder, and you know, coming close to losing my son. But um, none of that, none of the therapy work, helped me. In the middle of the grocery store when there was a lot of people around and those anxiety feelings came up because I didn't know what to do with them. What are they telling me? What does that mean? It's really just about being, you know, um, private investigator of your own systems, I guess, you know, mm. really getting in there. So it's not covertly happening. And we're just victims of these types of things. Mm. Sorry, that was kind of ranty and long.
0: <laughs> you're apologizing to me for ranting? True, I mean,
1: true, 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 true. Your rants are my fave, though. I us just
0: say that rant, you're in a, a rant-acceptable place here. Yeah, the,
1: yeah.
0: A uh, judgment-free zone. Um, I don't even know where to start with you. Like You just then just so nonchalantly threw out you had an eating disorder. Uh, and I feel like the nonchalantness uh itself is a sign of healing in a way Mm -hmm. of like yeah that happened it didn't feel like an emotional share it didn't feel vulnerable it was just kind of matter of fact like oh yeah i had that and now i don't and like game on
1: well and what's become very apparent to me in this most recent transition of my life leaving the corporate world to go into full-time coaching um, and meditation guide i People have expected some like uprise of emotional chaos, right? Like, aren't you scared? Aren't you nervous? Aren't you, you know, like expecting? Aren't you going to have a breakdown? Aren't you going to miss it? And I'm like, yes, but I I live there all day every day, right? So when we, I, there is not a tsunami effect of emotion when we allow the room for it to be fluid and flow with it, rather than trying to control the things that come up for us because. You know, the truth is that there's only so much control. It's kind of like a made-up idea. It's kind of part of our imaginative skills of like honing in on a good life is to control it all. (laughs) But if if we instead let it flow, right? Just like instead of a tsunami, just the wave waves lapping on the shore, then it's not so abrupt in change. It's not so hard in change to move through those things. So. Yeah, it's, there's a returning home for me to like the very core of my being, but also knowing that I couldn't have gotten here without all of the experiences, whether it was, um, you know, parental wounding, there's generational trauma, there's eating disorder, there's sexual assault, there's a failed marriage at a very young age, single momhood, uh, abusive, uh, mentally, physically, et cetera, a pretty violent rape. And then what didn't work all came after that, you know, the numbing and the being busy and all of those things. And it took coming face to face with losing my son that I had to set down my identifiers. Who am I without being a mother? Who am I? What do I want to do in this world? And what makes me, me so that I can be, um, that for other people as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for sharing so openly. First of all, I just want to honor, honor that and the progress you've made is is insane. Um, so well done. And I'm glad you're here to speak to a lot of this because I think it will resonate with a lot of people. One thing you just said that I thought was interesting was that it sounds like your rock bottom came a significant time after the events that one would associate with rock bottom. You You yeah. alluded to trying to fix it or trying to heal or live life normally. And then that went on for some time, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of hit rock bottom.
1: Yeah. And it's really amazing that it took my son's depression and trouble with that to, to see how far I had come from what looked like a healed role model for him. You know, like just getting by and making it through the days and just, you know, surviving was good enough for me for a long time. And it came from this, this pre-programmed notion that, you know, life is inevitably hard and that's just as good as it's going to get. We keep doing it today because we did it yesterday. And I thought, how can I model a better life for for another human? My son, this, this means more to me than anyone else in the world if I am not first being that for myself, how could he ever learn to fight his depression that his life is worth fighting for if I haven't worked through some of this stuff? And that's when I met, found you, I came across you and um, you helped me really. And um, in, in almost, it felt like a short period of time comparatively, but like the, the toolbox, I felt like I was so ready because I had tried so many things and failed that I was just a sponge at that point. And it was learning what worked for me, what resonated with me. And I combined therapy, which I, you know, recommend for a lot of people, as long as you're getting help, because what the hardest thing for me to do was accepting the hand that was reaching out and saying, I've got you. Let's work on some of this together. You know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, when, I, when I'm working with people, I'm like, "Look, we're going to take out this bowl of spaghetti, and these noodles are going to be sloppy and messy and nasty, and it's going to get everywhere. But we will evol- eventually organize this bowl of spaghetti, you know, and And that's kind of like the idea is that I had to go through all of that stuff where not seeing myself as good enough to work on any of it, avoiding it, and then looking in my reflection and what I was leaving behind in him to say. I am fucking worth it. I do matter here and I do have a purpose. So, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take to believe in that? And it's slow and hard and sloppy and messy and honestly, never ending. Mm. You know, it's like you get to the center of the onion and then there's the whole other side of the onion still has layers, you know? And, but believing that it's worth it is really the first step for sure.
0: What was it that came about inside of you that helped you to accept help or that you got to that place where you're like, "Okay, I really can't do this alone? You reference your son, but was there a yeah moment?
1: and and his story is his story. um I'll let him share that one day um on his own, but I really it it came to looking at the idea that I had said for seventeen years of his life that i identified as a mother. I would never make it without him. Mm -hmm. If I lost him, I would like just evaporate into thin air was like this headspace. And then when I came face to face with losing him, I thought, well, that's not actually true. I wouldn't no longer exist. Right. But I, what do I identify as? And who am I without outsourcing my identity as mother, as hard worker, as Mm -hmm. survivor of rape and, um, domestic violence and um, all of those things. Who am I? Because survivor is important, right? But it's a step on the healing process of then becoming who you can be with those things happening to you without identifying as them. And I I hit major rock bottom with the idea that I would have done all of those things and at you know, 39, 40 years old, have zero clue who I actually was and what I meant to do and what gives me purpose and drive and passion all in one, you know, little bundle. And so I thought, I can't do this alone. And I know that my friends and family mean well, but I need somebody who's going to look me in the face and say, here's what's going on. Here's where the work is. Here's where you're avoiding. Here's where you're numbing. You know, I mean, I, uh, all of the, hits of whether it was social or alcohol or um, men or, you know, whatever the case was, whatever filled that void for that moment uh, was just the moment. And then each time it gets harder and harder, you know, to just admit that what's happening is not working. Mm -hmm. So that really thrust me, like getting him squared away meant... I had to get myself squared away. And so it was alongside of him and his work that he started doing um, that was like, okay, it's time to get really serious about that. And then from there, just peeling it all back, you know, and you're, what you have, you know, your, some of your clients do is like asking the why and what, where does this lead me? What is this feeling that's coming up for me right now? If I, you have to sometimes go down the rabbit hole. You know, you, you sometimes have to ask that question enough times to source where it came from. Not because it cures all, but the awareness of that really allows you to separate what happened from who you are.
0: It sounds like what you're describing is the pursuit of your truth mm-hmm. at, at the core of, of your experience, right? Your lived experience.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I absolutely think that stepping into that truth is one of the hardest things we can do. So why would we expect of ourselves to do it alone? Whether Mm. it's your own friends and family cheerleaders, you know, I just, they, they have a bias, right? You know, so I sought out different outlets, you know, I searched for different coaches, I searched programs, I searched all those other things, but, um, you know, I, and I did been going to a therapist for a lot of my life, but the therapy, like I said, it's so reparative, right? For the past work. And I really needed to figure out how to launch myself forward. And I believe that's what coaching helps you do. Mm-hmm. It's like in the now, what are we gonna do with this right now with what's happening? And that takes awareness of your body and dropping in. And, you know, there's so much to it that it's hard to describe in a, you know, podcast timeframe, but. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fair. But I think you've you flagged a good point. Um, And it's the same way that I describe it, which is I think therapy is kind of focused on the past and healing. And I think coaching is like getting you into the future that you desire and like getting you training, so to speak, for life now and in the days ahead. Uh, In the same way that Michael Jordan had a coach and Beyonce has a coach, dancing coach and singing coach and all that. Like we need that external person who can see us and to identify the blind spots that we're living in. Like, yeah. you know what? You do this thing,
1: you right. know that?
0: Like, <laughs> like what, what are you talking about? Like, uh, you do this thing, it's very obvious to me. Uh, we should dive into that, right? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so you, you were fearful about losing your son, you started asking some serious questions, mm-hmm. you reached out, you got help, uh, and is this the point where you started healing the various relationships and abuse from the past? Or have you already done some of that through therapy?
1: I had, I had worked on some things, but not to the degree. It was almost like, um, wow, that's a really great thought. I like that. I could apply that and then not following through, right? So I had this mm. m- mindfulness towards it and, but it didn't, um, I didn't wasn't actually embodying those things. It wasn't dropping in and, and seeping into my actual bones. And you know, when we talk about, like, I love like Jeff Brown saying, you know, we have to clear out that debris. It's not just going back and you know that reparative work is so important because you can go into the nooks and crannies. But as a result of those, you know, some people think, oh, I dealt with that in therapy four years ago, but now I'm reacting to it differently. I think life presents us with new opportunities to continue the healing all along. So yes, I did. I did start with going back to those things and acknowledging what's different. I think, and you, and you asked earlier about my, um, like having a healed reaction to something. I think my attitude towards things before was just like having a monotone behavior. Like if I didn't really feel it, I didn't have to heal it. You know, I didn't have to go through it, which is the way we know now you have to feel it to heal it. So I just kind of numbed everything because you can't cherry pick emotions. So I said, I'm just going to not feel and I was living in this very gray space of being the yes girl and having entertainment by outsourcing it and things like that but the idea of like sitting by myself and not being on my phone or not was so foreign to me it was so weird and then um you know I I, there was obviously some, some loss and you have to grieve. You have to like let go of that old life in order to move into a new space. And there's growing pains, um, and all of that, but it was really, really saying out loud, for example, when, when I was raped, it actually came out of me because my friend's daughter was in a situation where she came very close to being Date rate. And she started to blame herself. And I was like, no, ma'am, there is no part of this that is your fault. You know, I was just, and then my story just came out. And her mom, my friend, was like, You've never told me that before. And I was like, I've never told anybody because it's just, it was something I had to protect and be careful of. And people were going to judge me anyways. And I was like, wow, that goes back to being like 11 years old and the boys, you know, I would have been in trouble if I had been with the boys that were doing the things wrong, you know, and just that kind of covering up over and over and over. So it goes all the way back. I believe we have these core belief systems and core wounds that once we identify them, then can kind of set us free towards, I don't say it, um, in that monotone way, I say it with an affirmed, healed, like fresh new look because the, it's, I'm not speaking from, what is it? I'm not speaking from the wound. I'm speaking from the scar kind of a thing, you know?
0: How did it feel to release that story out into the world?
1: It's kind of like, and I, I know you can attest to this too with clients and things. It's kind of like this, um, space opens up and then it's a vacuum effect it's you don't want to call it like a black hole it's almost like this light hole where you um have this thing that you've healed and then it starts pulling in all of the other things it's like a byproduct of starting the healing pulls in all these other things and when we turn in and give light to those topics they um they become less powerful and for me speaking my truth It really started on stage in front of about 150 people, talking about domestic violence and what happened to me, and somebody else believing in me that I could, and um, I was, you know, having an impact and looking out and seeing that had changed and affected people. I was like, I can't not do more of this. I can't, I can't avoid that I am being called forward here because it matters and I matter. And then it was like well, that contradicts everything else we've been doing in life. So we're going to have to do this work then. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I just interviewed this, this guy, Garen Jones, and he was talking about how you do the opposite. Like if you're getting a certain result from the way that you're doing things and you want the opposite result, then you have to do the opposite action, Mm -hmm. which makes such, makes such sense. And it feels so simple, but then the actual doing of that, I think can be very confronting. And so how did you end up on a stage in front of a hundred people talking about something terrifying that you hadn't really shared before?
1: So I've always been um, involved, whether it's in the community or um, you know doing. Um, food bank stuff or serving meals around the holidays or serving in the community and I had found a small organization that helped a lot of other organizations and I came I got involved with Samaritan House which is a local um, nonprofit domestic violence um, advocacy group and there was a woman there I had met through the group that had such belief in me and at the time I feel like I told the story and that you know, kind of monotone way and was just, you know, but she saw something in me in a way that I presented it that let you feel it without being overly emotional in it and, and being able to present the story that can reach people who, who, for example, say, well, why did you stay? You know, because there's never a good enough answer to that question. And we should really be asking why people abuse instead you know um and so we sat down and and she just was like i'd love for you to be the keynote speaker at our um second wave luncheon and i was like me why that, what, I don't have anything to share you know and she's like, yes you do and you're gonna get up there and you're gonna tell the world what happened to you and I was like but not really the world right like it's not being broadcast live <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah it started with that that story and I um spoke and there was a like child psychologist right after me. And I really brought awareness to, um, you know, there were people in the audience that didn't know I was going to be the speaker that had known me for years. And they were like, I had no idea that happened to you. And, Mm -hmm. and trauma is like that by nature, if you keep it quiet, you don't have to deal with it, but it also festers and grows and, and then ultimately runs your life you know, mm. and you have to work even harder. People say it's hard work to, to, you know, heal. And I'm like, but it's also hard work to fucking stay in a rotting soul. You know, like, how is that working for you? Kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. That perspective that you're suffering one way or the other,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you can
0: suffer in the pain of now and that monotone numb existence that's a form of suffering. Sure. Or it's also a form of suffering to stand on a stage and bear your, sh- your soul, to a bunch of strangers, like. Yep. So, do you mind expanding a bit on the domestic story sure, that you shared absolutely. on the stage?
1: Yeah, I was um, very young, and I um, came to know someone um, in a. We were involved in the same group, and um, he personally. And I'm not saying all. Let me just. You know, start this by saying not all abuse is the same, um but also that you don't have to have scars on the outside or have physical harm to be abused. Um, one of the biggest things for me is that in uh, often. You know, traumatic situations, there's the comparison level, but we can't weigh pain, right? I can't put mine on a scale and yours on a scale and come out to some sort of even number. It's a personal experience. And I, I basically chose something that had been modeled for me. Um, he came in and was very charismatic and swept me off my feet. And then there was just this push and pull, um, kind of like uh, the chaos became the drug and he would fix it all and it would be great. And I'd get my hit and loving kindness, wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And then you know, the opposite character would show up. Um, And it was very manipulative. Um, I have friends who say that over time, they think I was even brainwashed um, because I've never been one to, I mean, I thunder after injustice. I don't take shit. I'm not putting up with that kind of thing. They're like, how could you ever be involved in that? And I said, it was was, uh, a very slow in and an even slower out. And somewhere in the middle, I broke, and I just said, "I've got to do something about this." Um, And it wasn't just me; Um, I got in the way of you know children being involved a lot of the time, and would take stuff from them. There was cheating. Um, It was a full uh, raping of life, really. You know, from financial to spiritual to um, physical. Uh, You know, I was about fifty pounds lighter than I am now, and I'm I'm fairly trim and fit, you know, person, I wouldn't say I'm athletic anymore, but, um, I, uh, part of that ties into the eating disorder from before I was a stress starver, as I would call it. I can't eat because I don't feel well. Um, but it, I just really didn't believe I was worth, um, the nutrition I was serving my body. I didn't feel like I deserved to live in that, in that space. And, um, The last time that he put his hands on me was he choked me almost to death and then slammed my head against a, um, the edge of a couch, which gave me a mild concussion at the base of my skull. And I, and then he immediately picked me up, hugged me and said, why do you make me do this to you? And I thought I'm going to die here. This is how I'll die. And I just couldn't bear that for myself or my son or my family or anybody that was going to be affected from that, you know, and there's phases of isolation. And again, you know, it's, it's such a big topic, um, that it's hard to touch on all of it at once, but, um, it's something that then when I was able to get out, right that was no longer the hardest part. The hardest part then was how the hell do I do my day without that in my life? How, how do I have faith in myself again? How do I find trust in myself again? And I personally believe that, um, self-trust is a core like that. If you don't have that, nothing else, n- no other work that you do will matter because if you don't trust yourself at the end of the day, then, um, none of it will stick or land or anything like that. So, Um, it was a slow out. It was about two years from that injury that I was able to actually get out of the situation. A lot of back and forth, there were um, restraining orders, um, police were involved. And, um, you know, then finally, I moved out of that shared space into what I thought was a safe place. Um, He eventually found me there too. But um, there hasn't, luckily, since then, there's uh, been no contact, but um, I, I don't. I don't think I could have admitted it. I think the first time somebody said that I was a victim of domestic violence to me, I was like, I was. You know, I just uh, I had taken it. It was partly my fault, right? I had stayed until I started undoing some of that um, brainwashing, victim shaming, things like that that I had received from other people.
0: And how long were you in that relationship?
1: seven years
0: and then it took you two years to end it
1: no there was like the the end was at the end of the seven years so the two years of getting out was within that so it was about the five-year mark when the last that was the last really bad assault that had happened there was other things um, in between that but that was the most devastating to my Mm. body Mm. what I learned quite quickly was that bruises heal a lot faster on the outside. Um, And one of the things with um, emotional abuse and trauma is it's often underestimated for the victim. And um, that's part of the work that I got involved with Samaritan House for was to, in those one-on-one situations, to share that it's not, you don't have to see a guy or girl punching somebody else in the face to see abuse. You know, it can be that, Controlled, manipulative, isolating behaviors, um, and and domestic abuse has to do with way more than what happens to your physical body. Mm -hmm. So while I had both, you know, my scars have all now healed. Then you could have somebody potentially that's going through it, and they just think it's the way it's supposed to be. That that's I'm he's supposed to talk to me like that. He's supposed to treat me like that. That's what he's always done, and I've always put up with it. So that's just the way it's going to be to the complete other extreme where you have a domestic violence attack that results in somebody having, um, life altering, you know, physical altering, um, experience just in one night.
0: So when you're in a relationship like that, is there a spark dimly lit inside of you that knows that this is not okay, that this is not right, that you should leave? Um, I'm curious if, about that from like a self-trust perspective was, was there a, were you like completely extinguished and couldn't, couldn't see the, the um, from the trees until after, or.
1: There absolutely is still a demo, at least for me, because I am what some would say is like a little spicy or a little feisty. There was always a fight in me, which probably triggered some of the, um, responses that I got because I didn't always go silently to my room and take what he had given me. Mm. Um, but, and I was never physical back to him. Um, but I certainly didn't always just keep my mouth shut either. You know, um, there was still a part of me that had that. And I think, um, what and that is the drive that eventually gets you out is, is that spark continues to grow. And so it's like, um, I started doing things uh, like running, for example, and I I, I self taught yoga. I did at home self teaching yoga, and you know back in this time frame there wasn't just YouTube videos galore. It was like actual popping in a DVD and watching it and learning and things like that. But that's what it actually started. And then when I started teaching, um, I started teaching yoga funny and or ironic enough, I guess I should I should say, um, I started teaching self defense and I felt like a total fraud because I'm teaching women how to defend themselves and getting my you know what handed to me at the end of the day. But um, I started teaching and doing more physical activity um, and then that evolved into me working in a space where I was I became um, it was for the Y, uh, the YMCA became a it was like a fitness coach almost. And I ended up helping people very similarly to how I help people now. You know, it was just glimpses of that, um, glimpses of having things on my own again, glimpses of feeling good again, um, smiling again, laughing again, not being in fear again. Um, and my, my runs got longer and my workouts got better. and And so I went the fitness track until... I was out of the relationship and then actually was self inflicting pain through workouts as a replacement for what I had been receiving for him. It's, a, it's an interesting paradox when people leave abusive relationships, oftentimes will outsource um, the same type of pain or chaos in other ways, um, whether it's drama with family or, you know arguing with kids or family, you know, friends, things like that. So, um, and, and then it was like, okay, we're going to take a break from working out and, and ruining your body because someone else isn't there doing it for you. Uh, Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fight was always in me. Yeah. And I trained martial arts for years, so it damn well should have been. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But even what you said about feeling like a fraud for teaching, self-defense to me indicates that there was an inner voice whispering like this this isn't right this isn't right this is not how it should be Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you were starting to reclaim your power and reclaim your strength through physical activities
1: I did mostly and taking um, things back for myself not allowing it. Well, obviously one of the biggest things was getting him out of the house. Um, and that was unfortunate because we shared the property. And so there was, I I didn't have as much say or right in that situation. So then getting myself out of there myself was ultimately the, the way, um, to create some space and distance, but, um, there was, and, and it becomes an addiction and I, offer this to people who are either going through it or trying to get out. There's there's a lot of I'm dones before you're really done. And there's a lot of times that we accept the next greatest grand gesture because we have hope for the person changing or being better. Um, And loving them is not wrong because loving them is about your heart and it's about who you are as a person. Um, But we can't love a person enough to be something we want them to be or different or change or whatever so um, not to I think it was harder to forgive myself than it was to forgive him but once I made the decision that I was no longer going to hold myself in contempt for staying that my responsibility simply lied in getting myself and my son out then I became more liberated from it
0: Uh, okay. So, so talk to me a little bit about self-trust because we sort of brushed Mm. over that, but how do you get to that place, um, internally where you feel confident enough to trust your inner voice?
1: Yeah, it is absolutely a total growth process. There's it's, it's tiny, tiny, tiny steps that, you know, people talk about all the time. Oh, I have a hunger pain that's a feeling. Let me eat something, you know? Oh, I have to pee. Let me not get through this next pile of work I have to do or answer 10 emails before I allow myself to go to the bathroom. Hey, guess what? You are feeling thirsty? Take a sip of that water, girlfriend. You deserve it. You know what I mean? Like it was those teeny tiny things. And you know, people will say like making their bed in the morning or, um, saying i'm not going to do this and then following through with it you know for me getting out of the abusive relationship i had become an active participant in the chaos admittedly was addicted to that lifestyle and so when it got really quiet it was hard for me to not stir stuff up or need an outlet or invite something else into my life that would have been unhealthy. And so it started with a, am I going to be proud of this in six months if I do this in the next six seconds? Like I had to break it down, not hour by hour, minute by minute, but in the next seconds. And if I could make it to the next minute, high five it. And that feeling would come up again and go, all right, we got a few seconds. Let's breathe through this. Let's figure out what we're actually needing. And all of that was the groundwork for what I do now. All of that was like my experiential understanding of how our brains work and the, and the patterns that are created. You know, the part of our brain that says you don't have to relearn your ABCs every day because we've memorized them is also the same part of your brain that um, where habits form and belief systems form. And so if we recognize that what we're doing is old pattern versus what's good and true and right for us, we can at least notice the difference and then decide better or choose better. Um, and, and it is, it's really being in, in your body and, and feeling all of those things rather than trying to good vibes only, Yeah. positive, you know, all yeah. day, every day and in yeah. the thick of it. So as far as trust goes, I, I had to go, you know, second by second, minute by minute. Am I going to hold myself in a good space by doing this? Am I going to reach the girl I want to be in a year from now? If I make this phone call, is this person that I'm choosing to spend my time with going to help me achieve better than what I've been doing. And it's incremental, you know, 5% more. Aaron Sky Kelly is like, if you can do 5% better today than mm-hmm. yesterday, you know, that kind of thing. And that's really been um, something for me that then your body resonates, your younger self resonates that the, every, the person you were every day leading up to this person can say, oh, she's not going to let us down this time look, she got water when we were thirsty, you know, and that repetition over and over and over again mm. is, is how that trust is built.
0: I love that. And then at the, the core of that, it sounds like is an awareness of what you really need or also what you are aspiring to become, right. right. Cause you're referencing you in six months. So is, is having that vision significant or is it just something that you decided to do or.
1: I think the, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think you can access the vision right away, right? I think that you just know that you're in a place that you don't want to be anymore and that discomfort is finally enough to make some sort of um, effort towards more or better. You don't might, might not know what the better looks like just yet, mm-hmm. but there's like kind of like an instinctual... So if, take it back to those core needs, right? If you're thirsty and don't drink water, you're going to end up hurting yourself. So take mm. that to your thought process. Is this thought, if I can cont- continue to have this thought and hold it as a truth, is it going to help me or hurt me? And um, then you start to see possibilities. Imagine a day when I don't think about my life as, you know, just this awful set of circumstances that happened. Imagine a life that doesn't feel like a lifetime movie. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah, it's almost like that possibility becomes the little seed that you plant Mm -hmm. in your brain of like, Mm -hmm. imagine waking up and being excited to start my day. Like imagine that it's even possible to be in a loving, healthy relationship. Imagine that I love my body. Imagine With
1: myself first. With
0: myself, dude, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, and and it was like, I, of course, it was easy, it, you know, it's easy to, when you've come out of a toxic relationship or even just a bad breakup, to fall into the next best thing that feels good for the moment, but doesn't mean it's good for you. Mm-hmm. And so really taking the time to decide what type of life I want to lead. And so for me, it was falling back in love with myself, my self-trust, rebuilding a sense of who I am without all these outside um, identifiers. And also, you know, letting all of the, there isn't a feeling anymore in my body that is not welcome. Because it's all true for me, right? It's all something that I feel within my body deserves my attention,
0: that's so good.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> I think that's so important. And like how you said it, just my brain kind of short circuited briefly of like, <laughs> like, yeah. What what is like everything is welcome I and mean, yeah, everything it all is, is worthy of my d- attention.
1: Mm-hmm. So, because in this process or like right now, like I, I touched on a little bit ago, like leaving the corporate job, right? Leaving that security, quote unquote, that um constant paycheck and moving into a space of the unknown, it it brings up Franny fear or Felicia fear or whatever I want to name her. Right. But if I have all of these emotions at my table and I let fear sit, you know, to the right or left of me and then excitement on the other side, as we know, they're close cousins. Um, and let fear have her say, if I let my fear have a place, I can trust her to show up when it is actually something I need to fear, right? If I give her a voice and I say that and allow her a seat at my table, it doesn't mean she's the head of the table. It doesn't mean she's driving the bus. It doesn't mean any of those things, but to say, okay, fear, what do you have to say here? What's going on? And then it's, oh my gosh, what if we never make money again? What if we never did it? Okay. Let's make a deal, right? If we get down to our last thousand dollars or last $10,000 or last $100, we get down to our last dollar to take care of ourselves. Then we'll rely on the skill set that we have created over the last forty years, the resources that we have in a in a in a country that allows us certain types of privileges. We just go out and get a job, right? We'll be okay. Is, that, is does that calm your feels a little? And she's like, meh, I don't know, but let's see what excitement has to say. And then excitement comes in, It's like. Bah yeah, this is going to be the best thing ever. And then there's me absorbing both rather than fear winning or excitement winning or having to choose between the two. They're both welcome.
0: Yeah. The, the vision that came to my mind is like a board of directors somewhat and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you've got all of your trusted advisors around the table and you're listening to each and every one of them. And then you are ultimately the the chairman or the chairperson of the board. Like right. you're in charge versus previously, and I have tremendous experience outsourcing my business to fear and just okay. proclaiming fear as the board of, or what is it, the chairman of the board. And, like, and I think in some aspect, it involves dissociating yourself from your fear and recognizing yeah. that you are not your fear, like right. that your fear is not in charge. Your fear is just whispering or shouting or screaming uh, their opinion Mm-hmm. but ultimately you get to decide what to do with that fear and how to use it.
1: Absolutely. And you know, it's like somebody, I had a client sent me a message the other day and she's like, I just feel really guilty. I was like, you know, guilt's great. Makes you not an asshat right? Like it, it, guilt makes you stay in line sometimes so that you don't act like a pretentious prick. So, you know, I mean, it's like each of these things, fear also makes me run if there's a bear. So why am I going to, and this is something recently that's come up for me is I, for a long time, had made all of these loud voices in my head at the boardroom table, my enemy, right? Oh, here is fear again. I cannot do it. So my brain became like this, this war zone, because, and, and I realized that my brain is not the enemy. It is me allowing all of these parties that are trying to get my attention, giving them my attention and seeing what they have to say to make an educated decision on how I want to move mm-hmm. forward.
0: I love that. And like to continue that analogy, it's about having boundaries with fear, right? Be like, hang on fear. You've already used your three minutes. Like mm-hmm. we're moving on right? Like you don't get to take charge of this meeting. I'm in charge of the meeting. Yeah. You you don't like it. You go outside. I'm taking
1: the talking pillow away. You don't get to say anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's what it sounds like.
1: Well, Uh, and if each of those emotions, if each of the things is all a part of you, it makes it your unit, your family, your organization. Right. And so mm -hmm. how do you want It's, you know, you lead with, with what feels right and true for the majority and fear does need a space at the table. Like I said, mm-hmm. if, if there is a spot that you feel fear and don't listen, sometimes you end up hurt. Totally. Um,
0: but I think too, if you let fear have his way, let's just say it to him, okay. uh, have his way, then you don't get to hear from joy and you don't get mm-hmm. to hear from bliss and you don't mm-hmm. get to hear from excitement and you don't get to Definitely. hear from possibility and all of these other wonderful, beautiful things that are equally a part of the, of the brain that we kind of lose sight of when we're only focused on that fear state. Right?
1: Absolutely. And those, those other more positive, if you will, seeming feelings are often quieter and less demanding than uh, resentment, sadness, fear, anger, right. Those tend to scream. But I also think like those are more ego related defenses and where your intuition comes in, it's just a knowing and it's quieter and it's easier, Mm -hmm. but it's like, um, that post that I shared about, um, you know, you can't sit there and uh, we say all the time, I don't know, man, things have been really good. Something bad has got to happen. And then the opposite is, do you ever sit there and go, shoo, things have been so bad lately. I am certain this good thing is about to happen to me, right? And so it's like letting those things have a voice too and letting the positives win sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is boundaries, balance, all of that good jazz. It's so good. So good. <laughs> uh,
0: I, and you've touched on this, and just to like go full Benjamin Button into your past, but you've talked mm-hmm. about like, an abusive upbringing or a, a childhood in which you were hardwired to pursue everything that we've talked about previously. Yeah. yeah. You want to touch on that briefly? Yeah, for sure. How that shaped and, you and what it taught you?
1: And what I'll, what I offer and say in the space of like parental wounding is it's that both and, right? They can both be doing the best they could and it also didn't turn out so great. It's not about blaming or shaming or, um, having guilt or needing apologies or any of those things it's just the truth the facts of the things that happened and um i had parents who were not taught how to be loving in a way that i felt like children deserve um my my father had a very hard childhood and so he didn't connect as much on an emotional level my mother was the third youngest of 13 who had a mother lose several children before she was even born. So like emotional capacity was not something her mother was able to give to her. My mom worked her ass off. She was always on the go trying to provide for us. But as a child, I also still needed like emotional guidance, connection, etc. And that was not sourced for me through them. Now, now I absolutely would go, you know, I've had conversations with both of them and I know that they are there for me. Um, but it didn't help mid-divorce to be on the phone between two screaming parents. It didn't help to be um, have weekends with dad where he would just throw money at the weekend and didn't say a whole lot to me. It didn't help to see drugs and alcohol being abused. It didn't help to be left alone as the caretaker for my little brother without knowing how to take care of myself. You know, all of those things are truths, and you asked me a question a few years ago when we started working together that has stuck with me since. And it's so true because I had a lot of anger, a displaced anger, but anger towards them for not doing better by me, right? But you asked me, so what did they give you? And I was able to come up with words like independence and the ability to take care of myself and others. And um, uh, a hardness that allowed me to defend myself in the world, you know, and a way to, um, take care of myself that I didn't need to rely on other people, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of those independent words, you know, structured how I came up and through the world, um, but it, it, it was hard. Bethany Webster's courses are really good. Uh, I know I th- have you had her on? No. Um, she is, uh, an expert on mother wounding slash parental wounding and went through a couple of her programs and, and, you know, just the idea of like becoming your own inner parent so that you're not expecting things from people who never learned how to give them to you. Right. That was my like recovery through that, you know? And, um, again it's not about comparison, Sure, there are children that out there that have it worse, and there are children out there that have it better. It was hard for me. it became even more apparent when I became a mother myself to notice where I had been starved for certain emotional connections um, but ultimately, becoming my own mother, like I connected to inner child, but I connected and rooted with inner mother so that she was my source of mothering within myself.
0: Mm. And then you give yourself what you never got, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So for example, um, I used to, like I love to have meals with people uh, because I feel like you get full attention with people, right? If if we're sitting down to dinner, dad has to talk to me. You know, mm-hmm. mom has to talk to me. We're, we're here, family, my brother is there, whatever. So oftentimes I would find myself craving a meal that, you know, God, so bad for you, you know, like the good old Kraft mac and cheese, you know, and it's like, why do I want that right now? Oh, actually, you're just missing your brother. Let's just give him a call and see if that, Mm. you know, craving goes away. And it it inevitably would, you know, but Mm. really leaning into what's driving our needs and then meeting them.
0: If for some reason your stories made me think of carrots so uh, like, uh, <laughs> like I pictured you, uh, I know this is how my brain works, but mm-hmm. like imagining that your uh, that your parents in childhood were like a vegetable stand on the side of the road and you're like, I want carrots. And they're like, we don't have carrots. Mm-hmm. Like, no, but I really, I want carrots. And they're like, I've never even heard of a carrot. I don't know where to buy carrots. I don't have carrot seeds. Like I don't have any carrots. And then you grow up and like the carrot might symbolize affection, praise, validation, what, hugs, belonging, or love, belonging, yeah, all of it. like mm-hmm. all of it. And then you grow up and you're like pissed off because your vegetable uh, stand parents didn't have carrots. And then someone's like, why don't you grow some carrots? Exactly. Or like, why don't you go buy some carrots now? Or why don't you um, give your parents some carrots so that they know what carrots are? And maybe they'll, Uh, take an interest in those carrots and it'll change their life.
1: Level it up and give them a package of of the natural carrots that are purple (laughs) and grow them together in your garden. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 (laughs) you got purple carrots now. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus, you've just, you've come so far that like, it's just wild to me to hear you touch on all of the various topics that we've discussed today with such clarity and such depth and such humility Thanks. I'm just kind of gobsmacked right now. I, uh...
1: I love that. And, you know, at the same time, turning it back towards you, you know, I, I said to you when, when we were in the coaching um, part of the beginning, you know, I said, I feel changes happening. And I don't know that I would have been as aware of them in And as expeditiously as I was, if it weren't for your guidance, you know, and like, so to bring that whole point home, like having someone there to help you move into more of a meta view of your life, rather than in the in the middle of the forest, you can't see shit, you can't see the way out, right. But if you can come up above it, take your little drone machine and look and see, oh, look, there's the path right there, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, my gratitude is endless when it comes to it what's really funny is is becoming a coach and having my clients express to me the same gratitude that I feel towards you it gives me a new awareness of of like i'm like i get it you don't even have to explain how you feel cuz that's how i feel about my coach right like he helped shape shift he helped me become this interior designer of my soul and huh. um yeah so much much big deep bow no, back please. to you for for being who you are
0: yeah thank you and that is fully received and um, and perhaps we should have led with that to those listening of like we um, worked together in a coaching client relationship years ago now yeah uh, and that's how we met and then have stayed in contact through the years and yeah. um, and have just been observing each other's Path, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then I, um, I was on a. You, you did Traver in my, um, on my group coaching thing the other day, and you're like, yeah, I've put in my two weeks notice, <laughs> and I told him, don't offer me any more money. I'm not staying. Like, there's yeah. nothing you could say to make me stay. I'm going off, and I'm becoming a full time coach and speaker and meditation teacher, and yep. I was like, oh, I was just so like inspired by that fire that I emailed you and was like, hey, I think now it's time to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Like now that you're a full-time ass kicking coach, like let's jam. Yeah. And it has been a blast. Like just witnessing your transformation is, is insane to me. And, um, all the things that you are doing currently, like, I feel like you're bound to get clients out of this podcast. Like if you're listening right now, go and (laughs) this isn't the intention. She didn't tell me to do this. Like (laughs) <laughs> Go and give Tracy money, talk to her. She knows her shit. I've, I've worked with her. Like you're, you're the real deal. And I think that one thing that has come across in our conversation now is just how sort of pure of heart you are and mm-hmm. how um, you really do have the best of intentions in mind for yourself and the world, right? Um, and I feel like that's why you're doing what you're doing currently. It's like trying to make a change. Like, you know, the yeah. pain so well that it's like, and you've survived it and you've learned so much that you have a lot to share with others who are sort of where you used to be, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Just the, and the promise that there is another side to it, you know, it's not yeah. all rainbows and cute puppies and, you know, gorgeous flowers all the time, but there is a side where pain doesn't feel like you're dying. And that it's the end of the world, you know, and then we have an opportunity to heal in a way that's so coherent with how we were designed as a human, you know, that allows us to really show up in that space. And, you know, I'm so honored to share, I'm so honored to be healed. And I used to say, you know, I was given a second chance because often in domestic violence, There is a bad outcome, you know, but I was given the second chance and that is what fuels my desire to help people find a different path for them if they feel like the one that they're on is not working for them, you know, um, not to say I'm for everybody, you know, sometimes I can be like that shot of whiskey instead of uh, a, a tea, but I used to, my tagline on my business card is like strong, like whiskey and sweet, like tea or strong, like bourbon, sweet, like tea. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good, good balancing act, but I appreciate um, you having me on here and definitely invoice you, uh, later, invoice me later yeah. for the, the plug, for on, the the, plug yeah. <laughs> on the coaching, for
0: the marketing, <laughs> but, uh, hang on, but you've brought up something. So what's is an area of your life currently that you're working through or what's an edge or something that you're still healing or processing? Like,
1: yeah, um, for sure. The in, coming into the space of my body, um, Holy! I've been working on it, obviously through this whole process, but re- be, being really confident. Um, I used to say I was always super confident in my skin, um, but if that was true, then then I I'm dreaming now because it's so much bigger and greater and more, and it continues to grow. Um, I the for me right now, a lot of it is resting into this new space. You know, not having an, a nine to five job or more like eight to six job, (laughs) you know, um, that I was so passionate about and I loved so much, but really knowing my purpose is so much more than, um, collecting a paycheck and what that looks like and what it means and traveling. Mm, So, so just settling into, this, I had a child so young that, um, that became the responsible thing to do was to go, you know, check the boxes and do life. And so allowing myself in this space without judgment to sit and read a book and, um, work on my online courses when it feels good to do so. And, um, decide if I want to go from the East coast to the West coast on the North side or the South side, you know, like that kind of, kind of thing versus go, 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 go do, 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 you know, um, hustle. Yeah, I have a tank top that I actually got rid of that says mother hustler. <laughs> and I used to just like embody that so much. And like, now I'm like, I like the idea of taking a nap on a Tuesday afternoon yeah. You know, and, and working around that kind of thing. So my edge is definitely the rest and really letting it be okay to rest and um, enjoy that space and allow myself to unfold into this new full-time career.
0: Mm. Where can people find you, Tracy? Yeah. Are you on Instagram? Do you have websites? Yeah. website?
1: But- all those things. I, Graham is my jam. Um, I love Instagram. It's at uncontrollably underscore me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a website. I'm sure by the time this airs, it will be relaunched. I am not an expert in that field. So I have outsourced that work. That's another thing is overcoming mm-hmm. the need to have my hands in all of the things when there's somebody perfectly informed and learned to do that exact thing. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised at all the results, et cetera. Um, but it's uncontrollablyme.com is the website. And I have like the Facebook and the and Twitters and all those things, but they all mostly source from Instagram.
0: Yeah, yeah. Any uh, final words of wisdom or anything we didn't cover?
1: Just super grateful for the space. And, you know, we're in an era of change where we have so much more access to the things that we need, but don't underestimate what's already within, you know, like there's so much to learn and read and, and, and take in, but, um, there is a knowing within you. Um, and just to really lean into what that is and know your truths from that space rather than receiving it from a book or, you know, Mm any of that just really really leaning into who you are and what you are and and knowing that that's true and good
0: well said um also random but do you know Kate uh Horseman she was I on the podcast her.
1: I don't know her but I follow her I think since your podcast actually
0: yeah oh so you've heard it already but so mm-hmm. Kate's an expert in like body image, nutrition, wellness. If you're listening and body image is a thing, like find that podcast Check chat with Kate. Yeah. She's one of the good ones for sure. Um, but Tracy, you're a gem. Again, like Thanks. thank you so much for showing up in such a powerful way, for doing the work, for putting out what you're doing into the world. It's just, uh, it's just a real treat to be able to be part of your life through the years and, um, and to support you in whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. And Enjoy the baths and the road trips and the mm-hmm. resting and mm-hmm. whatever else mm-hmm. you got going on.
1: Hoping I'll catch up with you in uh, September.
0: Oh yeah. At yeah. Uh, our retreat with Buddy Wakefield. If you're gonna listening. Be
1: phenomenal.
0: Creativity gonna be and mindset in just outside Seattle.
1: <sighs> <Woo>! <sighs> I <get> uh, it. <laughs>
0: all right. I'll talk to you soon. And, um, Thank you again, truly. Yeah,
1: I appreciate you so much. And um, just please keep doing what you're doing because everybody that I have referred to your podcast is like, Uh. dude is fire.
0: Oh man, I got to send you an invoice then. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. we're equal now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thanks so much, Jer. You're awesome. Pleasure. All right.
0: I always find it so inspiring to engage people who have been through severely traumatic circumstances and have yet come out the other side with gigantic, beautiful, tender butterfly wings that they're just using to cruise through life. She is so powerful, so inspiring to me. Do check her out online. Follow her on Instagram. After we finished this conversation, she actually mentioned that she is willing and able to have a free one-on-one conversation with anybody. So do reach out to her, mention this podcast, and she'll connect and have a conversation with you. I think that is an opportunity to take advantage of. She's so great. Also, if you're new here, maybe snoop through the old episodes, have a look around. There's lots and lots of content on this podcast by now. There's nearly 70 episodes. Lots of good stuff in the previous ones. Have a, have a peek. Download a couple. Get some wisdom in your ear bones. And just continue rocking in the free world, you know? Do some somersaults and cartwheels. Hug a tree. Smell some flowers. Be present. Take some deep breaths. Maybe take a nice long bath. Call somebody that means a lot to you. Let them know. We're all doing the best we can. I hope you're doing okay. I really sincerely appreciate you being here. Thank you for the support, for the love, for the messages for the five-star ratings, for sharing this with your friends and loved ones. It helps me to make my dreams come true, to create a bigger impact in the world, and I am grateful for you. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Boop, boop, boop.